Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. Well, just going to get up here and get my, my bearings and just see you guys in the eyes because it brings me joy. And then I'm, of course, anyone online, I see you online. It's the best I could do, but I see you. Uh, but just a happy Sunday morning, the day where the church gathers in unity. And we're on the fifth Sunday of Lent. It's here. Our Lent journey is almost complete. It feels like we just started it. And we've been going on a very detailed journey, haven't we? with our theme this year, the power of the gospel. Sometimes we forget that, the power of the gospel. And I'm going to tell you that there is nothing better than the church gathering together like this, person or virtual, doesn't matter, but gathering together to talk and to walk through the power of the gospel. This is it. But we're not called to just be here on Sunday morning for an hour, are we? This is the gathering place. But our life and battle is out there. That's where it is. And so I hope today as we go through here, all I want to offer today is just a word from the Lord to get us charged up so that way we can go out there and do life and ministry together. I'm going to tell you that this journey for me, for the last several weeks, has been a reminder that none of us is Jesus. And I've been going through this New Testament. It is, it is a strong reminder. I am not Jesus. And it's a reminder, for me anyway, as I've been going through it, a reminder that the same Jesus, the same one, the same Jesus of the New Testament is the same Jesus that leads the church today. Amen. Same one. Because the things that I'm reading about, and I'm sitting down, and I'm writing, and researching, these things here, we can see still evident today. That, that the Jesus who fed the 5,000, who did all these miracles and miraculous signs, is still doing that today. Amen. That it's not just the Jesus of yesterday, but he is the Jesus of today and tomorrow for the church. This is who we serve, the power of the gospel. And now we're getting close now. We're just one Sunday off, actually, from when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem for the last time. Palm Sunday is what we call it. And we're getting, like every week when we sit down and we open the scriptures and we look at the Bible and we see what we're going to talk about today and I reflect back on what's taking place. Like every week, Jesus has been a very busy man. 
since the last time that we have gathered and went over his story. He's been building a name for himself. He has been building a name for himself in the last year leading up to the triumphal entry. From where we left off last week, where we concluded last week, Jesus has almost exclusively been revealing that he is the Messiah everywhere he goes. He was kind of keeping that to himself at the beginning. Really just kind of doing small gatherings, small miracles. But don't tell anyone. Don't mention this to anybody. But now over this last year, which is what it's been now, going into the triumphal entry, he's been more open, intentional. He's been telling the world who would listen that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, he's still doing miracles. He's still doing all that stuff. But his teaching and his, and his prophecies are now the reason why the crowds are gathering is to hear his teachings and his prophecies, which also means that there has been another group of gathering to hear him, which is the skeptics. They're coming to hear him as well, to listen to what he has to say. In fact, in John chapter 6, Jesus was met with an entire crowd of skeptics who questioned his every move, every word that he said. They could not believe, no matter what, no matter what he did or what he said or how he said it or anything, they just could not buy into the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. This is the same guy from Nazareth. Can't be the Messiah. It just can't be. And so they kind of went back and forth with Jesus in chapter 6. And then unfortunately, that same group convinced a larger group of Jesus' believers that he too was not the Messiah. And so they left. Even existing believers left him. And then later on in the Gospels, just a little bit, we see Jesus is confronted again. But this time he's confronted by the Pharisees. Oh, we love those guys. The Pharisees now have made an appearance, got some attention from Jesus. They're, they're paying attention now. And in this case, they brought a woman who had committed adultery before him. And when they brought the woman before Jesus, they actually brought her and quoted scripture to him. And they said, Jesus, teacher is actually what they refer to him as. Teacher, they said. The law says, because of her sins, that we are to stone her because of what she committed. What do you say we should do? Now, this was a trick from the very beginning because either answer would actually get Jesus into a little bit of trouble. And so the Pharisees actually didn't actually really care about what the, what the women did or what she did or didn't do. They didn't care about her soul at all, to be honest with you. Their only purpose of bringing her before they ever wanted to pick up a stone and then get to business was just so that they could trick Jesus into this answer. Except there was one thing that they did not take into account when they brought her before Jesus, and it was the fact that Jesus is an expert in the law. He's an expert in it. His father wrote it. He's an expert. So according to Deuteronomy chapter 22, execution in this case was not given to any person, including the woman, unless the woman was engaged to be married. In which case, according to Deuteronomy, that if that did, if adultery did take place with an engaged woman, the scripture says 
that both parties would have to be executed, including the male. But yet, you only brought me the woman. Huh. Interesting. So he kind of goes down and writes on the sand for a little while. And then uh, he just replied back. Anyone here with no sin, you throw the first stone. Now, he did say anyone here without this specific sin, who hasn't done this, then you throw the first stone. He said anyone without any sin, you throw the first stone. And so all the stones were put down. The crowd started to dismember and leave. Kind of, Jesus kind of took all the excitement out of it, you know. The crowd mentality there. And they just kind of start disappearing into the silence there, into the, into the city. Until it was only just the woman and Jesus alone. And then he looks to her and just says, go and sin no more. Man, that was a big one. Jesus then, he goes on, he heals a blind man. He continues to teach. And he's starting right now to seriously get noticed by the high priest. They're starting to really clock this guy. He's making a, kind of a, a shake in the water, if you will, some ripples there. Which brings us all the way up to today. His final, his last and final miracle before entering into Jerusalem for the very last time. The resurrection of Lazarus. Let's pray. Father, I just pray in this moment now for your word and the message that God, the things that are spoken and said that they are from your scripture and word alone. If I mess up or bumble through something, Lord, correct it. Don't let us stand. Uh, God, let your people hear from you, not from me. So, Father, I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Well, here we are. Jesus has been out doing ministry. We've been talking about that for weeks now. Jesus has been out. He's been healing, doing miracles. He's been teaching. He's been doing all kinds of things that, that has really gathered some attention. And so on one of his uh, journeys, if you will, or teachings or miracles or wherever he was, all the scripture says is that while Jesus was out teaching, word had traveled all the way to him that Lazarus had become ill, had gotten sick. Now, why would this news, why would the news of, of Lazarus, of some guy's health condition in a city far away, be brought straight over to Jesus? I'm sure there's a lot of people who are sick and a lot of people who are dealing with this. Why did this make it all the way to Jesus? Well, it's because Lazarus was a childhood friend of Jesus. They grew up together. They played on the streets together. They went and did whatever little Jewish boys did when growing up. In fact, some people really argue and believe that Lazarus was his best friend. Do you have a best friend? Someone that's just close, that hold close to your heart? 
It's someone that you just can do life together with. Jesus and Lazarus were kind of this relationship. They were close. In fact, Jesus was very close to the entire family. The whole family knew Jesus. They knew him just as the little Jesus boy that grew up in town. They were close with one another. And so the word traveling to Jesus probably isn't really by accident. That would be something that's expected. And when you and I receive news like this, when a close friend of ours, our best friend perhaps, is fallen ill or sick, I know, at least for me, is that our heart and our soul sinks all the way down to the bottom of our gut, doesn't it? When you hear about news like this, and immediately you start to write a get well card or you make a phone call or a text message or your Facebook or whatever, social, whatever. You really start to reach out saying, we're praying for you. We're with you. You're not alone. I, I'm going to go before the Father and I'm going to lift you up. These are the things that we as believers do when we hear news such as this, when we hear these things. But Jesus, however, he received this news a little differently. He didn't say, send back word that I'll pray on his behalf. He gathered disciples and he told them after receiving the news in verse 4 here in John 11, he says, when he heard this, he told the disciples, this sickness will not end in death. But instead, for the intention to glorify God's son. That's what he tells the disciples. And it's important to know that Jesus said these words on the front end, at the very beginning, when the news first received, that Lazarus is not going to die. Everyone calm down. Calm down. He's not going to die. But instead, this is happening so that his son could be glorified. What does that even mean, Jesus, that your son could be glorified? Does it make any sense? He's sick. And so they go on doing ministry and sharing and teaching and miracles and all the things. Well, the disciples were probably thinking, honestly, at least I would be if I was following him around, they were probably thinking that Jesus was just having an off day when the second time another special delivery of message showed up. But this time the message said, that your dear friend Lazarus has died from the sickness. He didn't make it. And I gave that news to Jesus. Well, better luck next time, Jesus. Yeah, we can't win them all, can we, Jesus? You know, that's all right. And so they, Jesus kind of stops in his ministry and stops from what he's doing at that time. And he gathers the disciples and he does what you do. You got to travel back for the funeral. And so the disciples gather all their things and they begin the long road all the way to the city of Bethany. Bethany is actually just shy, just south a little bit of the city of Jerusalem. You can almost see Jerusalem from it. So they're traveling all the way there. And when they arrived to the city, it took them a little while. It was actually four days after Lazarus had died fourth day is when they arrived to Bethany and when they finally got just right outside the city gate and they were approaching Bethany it would appear they looked from a you kind of see it from the there was like a figure a person just standing there at the gate and they were kind of 
getting a little bit closer. Is that, is that a person? What is that? And as they were getting close, they realized, and Jesus goes, oh, it's Martha. It's Martha waiting for us at the gate. It's Lazarus' sister, everybody. It's all right. She's just probably waiting for us. And there she is, Martha, waiting right there at the gate. She knew, Martha knew that Jesus was traveling back to come and, and, and attend Lazarus' funeral services. And she was waiting for her brother's best friend to arrive like a good host would do, is waiting for your arrival to say, oh, I'm so sorry. And it could be together in mourning and hugging and crying. And as the group got closer and closer to Bethany, he realized that Martha here was uh, not exactly welcoming him as if uh, he was just in town for the funeral service or the way you would welcome a person's best friend who has just passed away, except she doesn't really greet him at all. Immediately when they get to the gate, she just says to Jesus point blank, Jesus, if you would have been here, he would still be alive. He would still be alive. If you would have come the first time we sent the message, Jesus, if you would have come then, he would have still been alive. There was no hello, there was no welcome, shalom, there was none of that. It was, you should have been here. You should have come when we summoned you, when we called for you. When we said come, you should have done it. He would have been alive. Wow, Jesus just looked at her. Hadn't even got inside the city yet and just said, your brother will rise again. Oh, I know, Jesus, I know that's church talk. I know what that means. It means that when at the end time, when we all come together as a church and are risen, you know, I, we all know that stuff, Jesus. And I know that Lazarus will be on that list when that day comes. But I am referring to the fact that you could have kept them alive now, today. You could have saved him. You could have done it. Because Martha believed with all her heart, right there waiting at the gate, believed that Jesus could have healed Lazarus, prevented his death, and that he would be alive dancing the streets today. And in fact... In fact, when I was doing my research on this, when I was, I personally was kind of curious on why was Martha hanging out at the gate? Why was she sending up there? I mean, that's kind of really strong. And what I found in my research and looking around is that it was actually a very common belief among a certain group of Jews, and she could have maybe been in this sect, I don't know. But there was a really common belief that the soul of a person stays within the body for three days after death. And that on the fourth day, it is widely believed that that person is officially deceased and that any hope for healing is gone. And so it's probably not really by accident that John writes in chapter 11 specifically that Jesus arrived in Bethany on the fourth day. You're too late, Jesus. You're too late. You're too late. Too late? Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Then whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? 
And something must have filled her soul, something that she must have caught right there at the gate because she looked right at Jesus after just dressing him down and just telling him how he should have been there. And when Jesus reminded her of who he is, she said, yes, Lord, yes, you are the Christ. Yes, you are. we have to go see the family. And so they, he grabs Jesus and they run into the city of Bethany straight over to their house. And the scripture says here that Mary, Lazarus' other sister, saw them coming down and that she ran out of her house and she greeted Jesus in the streets, but she greeted him on her knees and said, Lord, if you would have been here, I know he'd still be alive. I know he'd still be alive. And Mary just starts to weep and cry. And Martha's weeping and mourning and crying. And then the entire family comes out. And they start to, to gnash their teeth in the rippling of cloth. They're mourning. They have lost their loved one, Lazarus. He's gone. It's the fourth day, Jesus. He's gone. And then actually, what is Jesus' response to this? As a family is mourning before him, the scripture says, in fact, out of this interaction, we get the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. He had compassion on them. Come here. Come here. He wasn't standing aside of them, disengaged. He wasn't standing above them. You guys don't know what you're talking about. He was with them. I feel you. And he's crying, he's weeping with them. He feels it. My heart is with you. He wept. And after they wept and they mourned and they cried, he then says, take me to him. Take me to my friend. And so they get up. And they start heading out to the tomb, which would have been outside of the city gates. And they would have gone out. But by this time, a crowd had started forming. You see, uh, people started hearing that Jesus was in town. He kind of started getting a reputation, almost like a celebrity. Is this the, is this the guy everyone's talking about? And so they started forming, and they, and they followed him out to, the, out to the tomb. And when they got there, Jesus was standing at the tomb, and He's seeing, there's the tomb there. There's the big crowd that's now gathering. It's my, my friend's family. And he does something a little unorthodox. A little, a little weird, you know. He says, open the tomb. Open the tomb. That is, goes against everything in our Jewish tradition and law. What are you talking? Don't open the tomb. That is unclean. That is a... This open the tomb. And as they start to open the tomb, Jesus noticed that his first thing, that he didn't walk in there and say, all right, Lazarus, wake up. Wake up. No, he stood outside for everyone to see. He stood outside. And the first thing he did was... Father, thank you for hearing me. 
But what's about to happen, Lord? I pray it glorifies you. And as the tomb gets all the way open, he stands there. And in a loud voice, he shouts, Lazarus, come out. And at that moment, the scripture says that Lazarus himself walked out of the tomb still covered in the burial linens. Covered in it. That the very symbol of death, that the smell of decay was coming out of the tomb. But you know who else was? Lazarus. Walking out. The real walking dead. Walking out. And there he is, covered, head to toe. You probably can't even see. And so Jesus, as he's standing there looking like a mummy, covered up in burial linens, Jesus tells those around him to get those linens off of him, to get them off. For Lazarus was dead, but now he is alive. Jesus wasn't hiding at this time. He wasn't hiding. The, he didn't go into the secret and just say, hey, wake up, buddy. Don't tell anyone. Don't say anything. But you're alive now. Now he stood outside so that way there was no doubt that the power of the gospel, the power of Jesus, is who brought that man out of that tomb. And that he stood there in prayer saying that may you be glorified in this, Lord. That there was no person standing outside that tomb that could not look Jesus and say, that, that is the Messiah. We are going to be saved. He is here. Only did they know that his time was getting pretty short. And so Lazarus comes out of the tomb. Can you imagine that? How are you, my friend? What is going on? <laughs> what is happening? I'll tell you all about it. Let's go to your house. And there he is alive. Lazarus came out of the tomb. The power of the gospel Friends, as we inch closer and closer to the cross over the next few weeks, next week being Palm Sunday, and we have Good Friday service, and then Easter Sunday, as we're getting closer to these things, it's important to realize, it's important to understand that each of us, you and I, that each of us, we, we, we are or we were a Lazarus, a Lazarus. All of us, all of us here have found ourselves from time to time in a spiritual grave. We've been there. And many of you, I bet, some of you might right now, may be in one this moment, inside of a spiritual grave. That we're, we're, trying, we're, we're trying our best to live holy. We're striving to be holy people, to follow and to worship, and, to, and let our actions and our deeds be ambassadors of a living Messiah, Jesus Christ. We are trying to do these things, but it is just getting harder and harder to do. And we begin, friends, we begin to let our guards down just a little. We allow compromise 
We let fear and anger dictate our actions. And then that's when it happens. It's when it happens. We get sick. I'm not referencing an earthly sickness. But we then get a spiritual sickness. Sin begins to find a root in our hearts and our minds. It begins to make this place home. And then little by little, it starts to make our decisions for us. We no longer serve a risen God. We are serving ourselves and the world. Now, symptoms of the sickness often lead to giving up, being overwhelmed, feeling shameful, dirty, unclean, tired, lonely. You know the symptoms. And then it's then, when we're consumed by it, when sin has consumed us and that we are now in that spiritual death and it takes place. What was once alive is now dead. And then we go into our tombs. And then it happens. I don't even know if we realize it does happen. It just kind of happens. It's as if the tube is just slowly starting to close and the light is getting faint and faint until we just one day realize that we are covered in darkness. And then we yell at Jesus that, that if only you have been here, Jesus, if only you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. If you weren't out doing these miraculous things to my friends and families or what I hear of these, if you were not out doing, if you would have come, this would not have happened. If you had been here, I wouldn't have had this drug problem, Jesus. I wouldn't have had this sexual addiction or this broken family or this doubtful heart or fill in the blank. It wouldn't have happened if you had been here. But friends, this is what I want you to listen this is what I want you to hear, is what makes you and me like Lazarus. It's not that we were in a tomb dead, but what makes you and me like Lazarus is that the news of our sickness has traveled to the ears of Jesus. It has traveled to the ears of Jesus. He has left the side of his Father in heaven just to come see you just to come see you. He's come. He's come. He stands right now, this moment, outside of the tomb that we have found ourselves in, surrounded by darkness, filled with the lies of the enemy that you will never get out. You will never be able to be clean or good or pure again whispering into your ear to find comfort in the darkness. And then you start to hear this faint voice just crying out to us. 
this, this voice is not like the other ones. It's not like the ones I'm hearing. This voice isn't judgmental or condemning me, but it's a, it's a sweet, sweet sound. Yeah. You had thought you were dead. You had thought you were dead until, until this voice crying out had given you something that the darkness has never given you. Something that you thought was gone forever. And what this voice is giving us, friends, is hope. Hope. I haven't had it in so long. I haven't had it. It's been gone. Paul. Paul. He's crying out. Could it be? Could this be? Yeah. This is the voice of Jesus. Come out. Come out of that tomb. I am the resurrection and the life. Come out. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. You're not dead. For I have made you alive. Open that tomb and come out. And it's right in that moment, friends. I am telling you, it is in that moment. Once you believe, once you get out of the tomb, you take the step out, that you realize that the darkness never had any power over you to begin with, that it is all lies from the enemy. It's all lies. All of it is. Satan does not have authority and power over you. Jesus Christ is our Messiah. He is our Son of God. He is. He's not going to stand outside the tomb and cry out if he can't deliver. He can get you out. He can get you out. Friends, do not leave this place today in the tomb. Do not stay there. There is nothing good that comes from it. Only darkness and despair, fear, anger. We see a world who is comfortable living within it. We are called to be out of it, to be in and being ambassadors of the light. This, my friends, is the church. This is it. Get out of the tomb. You are free. You are alive. You are saved. So take the step. And in fact, the altars are open. If you want to take that step out of the tomb. But Captain, I already know Jesus. I don't, I don't need salvation. That wasn't the call. If that is, then come on down. I'll be the first to pray. But there are many of us who knew Jesus for a long time, but have found ourselves in a tomb, giving our life over slowly by compromise by compromise, filling with anger and fear. And it's time for us to get out. And so if that's you, open the altars. And we thank Jesus 
we thank him for his, his love, his compassion, his grace, but his authority to do it. And I'm gonna do something here that I really don't spend a lot of time on, but you may have noticed we've kind of been talking about something today. Now I'm gonna make a call. That there is a reality that God is calling people today to serve in full-time ministry. To go and to answer the call. And maybe our tomb today isn't sin. Maybe it isn't actually darkness that's overcoming us. But instead, it is not being obedient. Or maybe just having our heart with doubt. Let me just tell you, and I'm not gonna draw this out, but let me just tell you, the army needs good people who love Jesus. We need it. People who God has placed their, his call on them to serve as Salvation Army officers. Men and women of integrity and of godly character but Captain, I'm not an administrator. Neither was I, I assure you. But I don't really know how to preach. That's my first appointment. They would assure you I didn't. All God is wanting us is to follow. The rest of the stuff he puts together, he puts it together. And when you receive that call, you get this burning desire to want to do your best and be your best for him. If that is you today, and I'm not even saying you got to come down or stand on a stage or get a parade or anything like that. But I'm just saying, his answer back. Come out. Come on. And see where it takes you. And is life easy after this? After you get out of the tomb? After you're out of the darkness? After you say, Lord, I'm gonna follow you and I'm gonna go to the ends of the world. Is it easy after that? No, it is not. Because you see, we still have to remove the burial linens. We don't come out of the tomb squeaky clean. We come out still covered with the symbol and the reality of what got us in the tomb to begin with. And so friends, we have to remove the linens. We must commit our hearts to him and we must turn our, our back on the things that continually puts us in the tomb. Amen, that Jesus loves you and me. Father, we just thank you for this time right now and just pray over your words of the scripture that God, may we be like Lazarus, coming out of the tomb when you call our name, finding and believing in you, Lord. If there's anyone in this place right now, Lord, hear, hear my cry. If there's anyone here in person or online that is right now in a spiritual death or a tomb or just surrounded by darkness, Lord, have your voice cry out. Lord, just to reach out to them and may, Lord, they have the faith to step out. And Father, this is our prayer today. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you all. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.